this is uh, Nina Reed. Thanks, Todd. I didn't know Todd was going to compliment me in front of everyone, so that was fun. Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Nina Reed. I am so excited to be here talking to you guys tonight. I have been preparing this for a couple weeks, and I'm just glad that I'm finally here. Um, so John asked me to do this a couple months ago, and I got really excited, and I started Googling, and I wrote up an entire outline, and I walked up to John, I gave him the outline, and he read it, and he looked up at me, and he said, Nina, this is a great message for Monday Thursday, which is not today. <laughs> That's in a month. <laughs> so I didn't get the concept right away. It took, it took a little bit more digging. Um, so over the, just the next five-ish minutes, I'm going to walk you through where I found ashes in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in the early church traditions. So we're going to throw some verses up on the screen, and the first one is Job 42, 5 through 6, um, and that says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So this is the first verse that I looked at. Um, that came up with ashes. And if you know the story of Job, then you know that he had an incredibly tragic life. He experienced a lot of trauma and loss. And in this verse, he has decided to question God. Um, he's feeling his pain, and he just calls God out, and he questions him. And God responds by confronting him and saying, where were you when the earth was made? Which is really like, smashes Job down right there. Um, and he realizes that he'd elevated himself and he, he is hit with his own sin and he repents in ashes. So the next verse is Daniel 9.3, which says, so he turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So again, we've got Daniel who was a prophet and he's mourning over the state of Israel. Israel is in exile, and he is heartbroken. So he's mourning with ashes. And even Jesus talks about mourning with ashes. So this is Matthew eleven twenty one. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So this is another example. Repentance happens with ashes. Um, and Jesus is addressing towns who had really good reputations, as really good followers of God. Um, but face to face with Jesus, they didn't repent. And he's like, other towns would have done this by now. What are you doing? Um, he calls them out, and he says they would have repented with ashes. So as we can see, there is a sacred practice in biblical times of repenting with ashes on your body. And so, think of this. At first, second, third glance, this is really weird. Like, they're putting ashes on their bodies and they're, they're covering themselves in dirt, basically. Um, and so I had to think about this for a bit. That's weird to me. Um, and as I thought about it more, I realized this is actually kind of incredible. These people would feel things, they would mourn, they would weep, they would repent, and as representation of what was happening on the inside, they would have something to do on the outside. Um, and I actually think that this 
this became an art, and this is something that I think is incredibly valuable that we've been deprived of today. Um, so the early church did this too. They did, um, they talked about repentance. Tertullian and Eusebius, who lived just a couple generations after Jesus, talked about repentance and ashes. Um, Pope Gregory in the eighth century started establishing this day of ashes. Um, and finally, we've got a monk named Alfred who wrote this. We read in the books, both in the old law and the new, that the men who repented of their sins bestrewed themselves with ashes and clothed their bodies with sackcloth. Now let us do this little at the beginning of Lent, that we strew ashes upon our heads and signify that we ought to repent of our sins during the Lenten fast. Okay, so so far we know that Ash Wednesday is a day where we repent with ashes and it kicks off this season called Lent. Um, and if you don't know what Lent is, you're not alone. I also didn't really know. This wasn't a tradition for me growing up. So Lent is the 40 days right before Easter where people devote themselves to worship and to reflection and to fasting. So if you hear of people who give up sugar or technology right before Easter, that's what Lent is. One of my favorite ways of describing Lent is from Glenn Packiam. And he says that Lent is an invitation to keep company with Jesus, to journey with Jesus to the empty tomb. I think that is a really cool invitation. Um, so after all of this, I knew I was kind of getting it. Ash Wednesday has something to do with repentance and sin. Um, but I wanted to go further, and I saw another connection that I think is worth mentioning, and that's with death. So we have some verses from the New Testament where we are going to see death and sin connected. So Romans 5.12 will be up on the screen. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. That's a lot of words, which basically means Adam's and Eve's sin brought death into our world. So because of sin, we have this new connection, and death is introduced. Ephesians 2.1 carries on with that, and it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Death and sin are highly connected, and when we live in sin, we're also living in death. And the final verse is Romans 6.23, and it says, for the wages of sin is death. And this just adds further clarity, that when we sin, death results. So here's the whole picture. Ash Wednesday is a day about repentance and sin and the acknowledgement of death. So if you're familiar with church, then you may have heard the phrase dust to dust. We were born from dust and from dust we will return. In Glenn Packiam again, he, he says, Lent makes us confront two things that we are terrified of, sin and death. So I was left asking myself, why on earth do Christians begin the most victorious season ever with a day about sin and death. I think that's kind of weird and a little bit backwards. So I had to keep thinking about this because I don't love talking about sin. And when I imagined myself someday teaching a bunch of people, I never wanted the subject to be sin or death. That's just, it's a little bit uncomfortable, right? Um, so I had to think about it, and I, I, was, I was going back to how I came to know Jesus, and I remember being captivated 
by his love and his generosity and his kindness and his grace. And it's all I ever wanted to think about or talk about. Um, I started a ministry in college and I just realized when I was talking to my friends about Jesus, I didn't want to talk about their sin. I wanted to talk about God's love. So I got coffee with my mom recently who helps me all the time to think and process. And she helped me realize that to address sin and to address death can actually be incredibly healthy, helpful, and good things. As much as I long to skip to victory and I long to skip to the fun part of Christianity, I wanna go straight to resurrection day. I wanna talk about Jesus coming up from the tomb and all of that victory. That's fun for me, but this is so important. And it's so important to understanding our narrative as a whole. And that's when it clicked for me. Christians need to talk about sin and death. We can't avoid it anymore. We were born in sin and we are going to die. So we've got, we're in between these two places. And this is our truth. 1 John 1 through 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Something about reflecting on sin and admitting it right in front of Jesus gives us the momentum that we desperately need to connect with the truth. So one of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, he has this quote and he says, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark side, and in admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. The reality of our past is that we lived in sin. It's our collective history. Some of you are doing the year of the Bible with us. Um, so we know we come from sin. That's not hidden at all. Um, so it's our collective history from the garden to right now. It's 100% my own personal history and it's probably your history. Um, and I think of Paul in one of his most vulnerable statements where he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but there's something else waging war against my body. I feel it, and it takes me captive. O oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's so intense, and that's the tension that we live in without Jesus. We're longing for God, but we're choosing sin. Paul wanted to be the perfect follower. He got the theory, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't ap apply it. He failed in the application. And he probably understood how to follow God better than anyone else, but he stumbled through it. And to stand up and to admit like Paul that we are messed up is so valuable. Before Paul met Jesus, he was a paradox of aggression, of fake holiness, and he just wasn't making it. And after he met Jesus, I think he, he just came to terms with his fragility and his sin. And something changed in him. And I think that's what pushed him into the arms of grace. Um, and his acknowledgement of his sin is what freed him. What Paul was most threatened by, admitting his sin, is actually what gave him the momentum to follow Jesus the way that he did. So I was thinking about this, and I was looking back on my life, um, 
And I've got a story with lots of twists and turns, um, and I have a story with a lot of darkness in it as well, which is something that I used to be incredibly ashamed of because I thought that the darkness and the sin and the grief made me bad. I would love to stand up and say I've followed Jesus to a T my whole life, and I would love to say that nothing bad has ever happened, but that's not the case. I have confronted sin and I've confronted death, and I felt those two things and the weight of it. Um, and it took me a long time to acknowledge that in front of other people, and it took me an even longer time to acknowledge that with Jesus. But I realized something. He knows my sin, and he knows the shame that comes from that. And in what I think is an incredibly extraordinary and unexpected act of generosity, not only does he forgive my blatant disobedience, but he does the long-suffering work of restoring my honor and healing my shame. So a couple years ago, I was in college, and I had spent three long years pursuing my plans and listening to my own wisdom, and I stepped into some really, really dark places. I encountered a tremendous amount of anxiety and depression. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't talking with God. I was really scared. And I was living in this place of sin where I knew, because the Holy Spirit always talks to us, I knew God had something for me and I was choosing not to walk in it. And this, this all culminated at a breaking point about two years ago. Um, and it's the peak of my disobedience. And I think all my plans fell through. I was on a plane home from California, and I just felt broken. I'd spent so long trying to cultivate something that I wanted to be, someone that I longed to be, and I was doing it without God. And I came home, and I was so broken and bruised and disoriented. I didn't know what was right, what, what was up, and what was down. And I was in this place of excruciating pain. And all of a sudden, I just knew that this is exactly where God wanted me to be. I was as broken as I could be, as embarrassed as I could be, and just without a plan. And so I, I finally had to admit it. I had to actually look at God. I had to meet Jesus face to face and tell him what I'd done. And it was this really cool moment where I, I just confessed and I told the Lord, I have been following you half-heartedly. I have been pursuing my stuff. And this was something I was terrified to do, but it's where I felt the most accepted. Only after I released my sin, my grief, and my dysfunction to God, could I allow myself to feel the fullness of his love? And I wouldn't trade that season for anything because it taught me that the best way to come to Jesus is through utter, sometimes self-deprecating honesty. First John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. And that is amazing news. There's our promise we can take our sin to him, and he will deal gently with us. We can bring our true selves to Jesus. We can trust God with our aches and pains. 
And that is what Ash Wednesday is for. We get to bring every sin, every embarrassment, shame, regret, pain, fear to the feet of Jesus. And we have to do that if we're going to follow him. We have to get real with Jesus. So we're about to put ashes on our foreheads. And Todd and I are going to say, repent and believe the gospel. And this is not a punishment. This is not like kind of a subtweet trying to get at you and tell you to repent. <laughs> this is an invitation, a really amazing invitation, where you get to reflect on your sin, you get to reflect on what makes you broken, what makes you fragile, and you get to give it straight to Jesus. And you are going to be so surprised to be met with kindness and tenderness and care Brennan Manning says, that which is denied cannot be healed. I lived in denial for a really long time, and I still do that sometimes, but I feel the absolute best when I walk straight up to Jesus and give him every piece of my mess and say, oh man, Lord, this is messy and this is incredibly broken because he knows already. He's not surprised that I am sort of a trash can fire sometimes. He's all about it. He's like, I know, thank you for telling me. Let's talk about it. And that is really incredible news. That which is denied cannot be healed. So tonight, I want to create space for you to reflect with God. You can go towards the truth gently. You don't have to punish yourself. You do not have to be hateful. God's not going to do that, so you don't have to either. Simply tell God about your hang-ups and your pains. He will deal gently with you, and he will be happy to have you talking with him. So we're not going to go row by row. You can come as you feel ready and receive ashes from Todd and I, and John and Lindsay are going to lead a song as we finish out the evening.